0: Welcome to the Trinity Student Managed Fund podcast with me Will O'Callaghan. On this podcast I speak to leaders in the world of finance, business and technology to give us students a better insight into careers we may wish to pursue. This episode is sponsored by Elkstone. Elkstone is a family office managing the wealth of its principals with a focus on real estate, venture capital and alternatives, as well as a multi-family office regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland which provides both access to co investing in their principal's investment portfolios and wealth management services to many of Ireland's entrepreneurs and high net worth individuals. Elkstone has a strong pedigree of backing many high growth tech companies and was a seed stage backer of several high profile Irish startups, including Unicorn Let's Get Checked, Flipdish, Soapbox Labs, and Mana. My guest today is Nicole Quinn. Nicole is a general partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners, focused on early stage consumer, healthcare and fintech, having invested in companies such as CAM, Zap, and Cameo. Nicole earned a BSc in Maths and Economics from York University and an MBA from Stanford. She spent almost a decade at Morgan Stanley, covering European and US e-commerce, retail and consumer companies. She was an angel investor in healthcare and consumer companies over those years and then went to Nutmeg, a London-based fintech company. She launched her own startup in business school, and this is where she met Lightspeed. I hope you enjoy this very insightful conversation with Nicole. Nicole, welcome to the Trinity SMF podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Will.
0: To start off, could you give us an insight into your background and how you paved your way into the exciting world of venture capital to ultimately become one of the most renowned VCs in the consumer healthcare and fintech spaces today?
1: Um, Thank you for that question. Um, I always say that in VC of two ears and one mouth and uh, I spend 90 plus percent of my time just listening, asking questions and listening. So I never usually talk about myself. So thank you for asking. So I came to this fascinating industry through a very curious mother and a very entrepreneurial father. Um, My father's been starting businesses ever since he was 15. um, And I actually helped him build online pharmacies in the 1990s. Um, And so that definitely piqued my interest into entrepreneurship um, more generally. But I studied math and so I went into finance and I spent gosh, nearly a decade at Morgan Stanley. But I actually loved it because I got to cover first of all the consumer retail names in London and then the internet names in New York. Um, And so we did the Facebook group on Pandora IPOs and I should say that the whole time I was angel investing and that's what I really loved that's where my heart was so if you guys like if anybody can kind of you know do sort of like angel syndicates even if you say you know we're in for ten thousand dollars and we're gonna put um you know ten or twenty of us in that um so you're just putting like five hundred or a thousand in each then I would really recommend doing angel investing from like as early a point as you possibly can you know from the first time you guys have a job it really helps uh, in terms of just understanding the ecosystem. And so I did that. I then came back to London and worked at Nutmeg, the fintech company that sold recently for just under a billion, which, you know, was a great outcome because that company was definitely not straight up into the right. There were lots of zigs and zags along the way to their success. And, um, you know, that's like pretty much every single company out there, many zigs and zags, and you've got to have a really good trusted partner along the way. I then came out to business school and I was at Stanford and I had a startup that I was working on for a couple of years and I pitched that startup to Lightspeed Um, and that's how I originally met Lightspeed and I loved them. I loved the type of questions they were asking me and really sort of pushing me and thinking about just, you know, the sort of questions that no one else was asking me. They were a true thought partner. Um, and so I very quickly knew I wanted to work at Lightspeed. I joined to work with Jeremy Liu on consumer, and that was five, six years ago. And I've now invested in, you know, lots of companies that I'm sure we'll have the pleasure of uh, talking about later because I'm thrilled to have the honor of working with these companies.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for that very interesting background. And before diving deeper into your role as a VC, I do want to ask you about your experience during your MBA at Stanford, where you were president of the VC Club and founder of the Women in Tech and VC Club. So my question is, what are the biggest lessons you learned and the skills you developed from your MBA at Stanford?
1: The first day at Stanford, they said to me, you know, quite often when you're growing up, people say you need to be a well-rounded person. So you need to kind of work on the things that you're weak at. Stanford has the complete opposite approach. Stanford says, focus on your strengths. Make those strengths even stronger and I love that um, and so for me I was like okay well what are my strengths you know my strengths are curiosity um networking uh, and by the way i'm a big believer that networking is a very positive thing i know that sometimes uh it has like negative connotations but it's a great thing as long as you're doing it you know with the right intentions um then it's really good it's just connecting with people um and that was the other thing i loved i love connect connecting people i loved like setting friends up with one another um and now like a couple of my friends have got married um and have a family together i love introducing people to start a startup together i love saying, hey, you should hire this person, let me introduce you to them, or let me introduce you to this potential advisor. I just love connecting people. I feel like it brings like, it just adds value in this world. Um, and so that to me is um, really important. And I believe it's a really important role for a VC. And so when I was at um, Stanford, you're right, I was working working i mean i was basically doing the clubs um, of like the vc club and then we actually set up our own club which was like women in technology and vc and so what we did was we we're like okay well we have a stanford email address right and so like it's pretty cool you guys have a trinity email address and everybody looks out for you know great universities that you're getting an email from a student and people are like you know what I want to reply to this person it's not at gmail you're actually sending it from your university address and so you can reach out to the most interesting people and they will probably reply and so we reached out to like every founder and vc that we could think of and then you know we had these conversations we sat you know Mike Moritz or Doug Leone or Jeremy Liu or Vino Kostler would write back to us and say to us hey, yes, I'm so happy to um, have dinner with you. Let's all go out for dinner. You know, the 10 women in this group um, and me, and they'd come and share their insights. And so I'd say, like, if you guys can do that, then I think that would be something that, you know, would be really good and differentiate you and make you think, like, hey, you know, if everything goes right, how big an opportunity could this be? How great could my life be? And like, if I can do anything in this world, what would that be? Um, And so it's super interesting to sit down with these people who have accomplished so much in their lives, because it makes you really dream about what's possible.
0: Fantastic. Well, I think that the tables have turned slightly, and we're very fortunate to have you speaking to the society today as well. I know you mentioned you pitched your own startup to Lightspeed and ultimately joined the, the consumer sector. So I'd like to ask what specifically attracted you to pursue a career in venture capital, firstly, and secondly, at Lightspeed?
1: When I was in the UK, I'd never even heard of venture capital. And I knew I wanted to do something around finance. And, you know, that's why I went into investment banking, which I do, by the way, still think is a very good grounding. You know, it definitely teaches you a lot um, in terms of, you know, all the sort of Excel skills as well as like the ability to work hard. But like, oh my gosh, if someone had told me back then what venture capital was, I would have been trying to focus on that right from the start. But Silicon Valley is a long way from London. And this was, you know, 20 years ago when I was at university. And so back then, yeah, we just sort of didn't know that much. You know, the ecosystem was much smaller than it is today. I was just on a panel right now with Luciana at Sequoia, and we were both just talking about how tiny the ecosystem was. So you guys are graduating at a time where, you know, the tech ecosystem is big and exciting. And there's so many roles in it. Then when I moved to New York, that was when I heard about VC. And I had a friend who worked at a VC in New York. And I was like, wow, I love your life. You basically get to meet interesting founders all day long. You learn nuggets of the future, like what the future might look like. And you decide who you want to invest in to make that vision a possibility. And then in the evening, you go and network, you know, you go to these incredible events and speak to people and say, like, how can we partner together on doing this investment? Um, Or, you know, how can I help bring you and hire you into this company? And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I would love to have that life. Um, And so that is why I thought, you know, I'll go to business school. And then when I went to business school, I actually thought, Well, to be a great VC, you have to start a company. You have to be like Vinal Kostler and start a big company to then go into VC. And then Jeremy Liu at Lightspeed um, said to me, that is not true. The best way to be a great VC is to be a VC, you know, like most things in life. And so I thought that was like a really great perspective because it was like, you know, actually, if you look at the data, the best investments are made between year five and year 15 of a VC's career. I am just into my fifth year. So hopefully it starts to accelerate from here, which is exciting, Uh, sixth year, I guess. And so I do think that, you know, when you speak to great people like Jeremy and they say like, just start doing it now, start learning on the job, it's an apprenticeship. I think that that really goes um, a long way. And I was like, I want to work with him. (laughs) You know, he would be an amazing person to learn from. Um, And that would be advice I'd have for anybody listening, actually. Like if you guys have any career really that you want to go into, like find somebody you really respect and start working with them. Like if you just focus on high impact people, um, then you're going to go a long way in this world.
0: What does your investment philosophy look like then? And what skills did you learn in the equity sales and research role at Morgan Stanley covering public companies that help you in your role today?
1: My investment philosophy is investing great people. It really is. I invest pretty early, seed, series A, maybe series B, but it's always about exceptional people. And so I don't even think it needs to be a big market because I actually think a lot of small markets make up a big market, all right? Like eBay started as a Beanie Baby marketplace and Amazon started as a book reseller. And so you add on lots of different markets and then it becomes a very big company. What did I learn um, at Morgan Stanley? I learned the importance of hard work. You know, like I... It doesn't feel like work, what I do now, because I love it. But gosh, I really work very hard. Um, And like, I have a little one downstairs. He's a 15-year-old month little boy. Um, You can probably hear him. And so i got to really think about, hey, you know, I want to carve out like two hours in the morning for him, two hours for him in the afternoon or the evening, rather. But in between those times, I really work very hard. And I think that's something that I was taught at a young age working at Morgan Stanley.
0: And within the three sectors that you do cover, consumer, healthcare and fintech, could you name one technology or trend in each that you think is going to transform that sector?
1: Sure. Within FinTech, I'd say crypto. I mean, if any of you guys have like any spare cash, put it into, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or even Solana. I'm pretty excited about Solana because a lot of these NFTs are being built on Solana and the Solana conference is going on right now, actually. And so I'm really excited about that. I actually think that most companies are going the direction of Web 3.0. And so it's super exciting. Um, and to me, that's the way that fintech's going and pretty much you know a lot of other industries as well. And so that's fintech. Um, I would say... Healthcare, I'm super excited about all areas of consumer health, particularly mental health. You know, you look at our portfolio, actions speak louder than words, right? So it's like, look at what companies we've invested in. We've invested in Calm, the mental health and sleep company that I would definitely encourage you all to download. I cannot go to sleep without it now. Um, And you also get amazing music from like Moby and Kyger released directly on Calm. And one of the founders actually spends most of his time in Ireland, um, Michael Axon Smith. So he's awesome. And then I would say we've also invested in Real and Wheel. Um, so similar names. Wheel is a B2B company. Um, Real is trying to bring mental health to the masses by saying, hey, Alcoholics Anonymous is a really great way for alcoholics to find solution in group therapy. So why don't we then bring group therapy to every other area of mental health, like anxiety and depression. Um, And so they've leaned into sort of group therapy. And I love that vision. Then in consumer, oh my gosh, like so many different trends. I would say the creator economy. Um, I'm a big believer that, you know, I would say like in our lifetime, over half of the population will be creators in some form or another. And so, I am a big believer that like we need the tools to be as successful as we are, and maybe those are fintech tools, maybe those are enterprise tools, but it's also you know, allowing folks to have those platforms. I think the last generation of social was about building your following, and now the current generation of social is about monetizing your following, so that's why you have companies like Cameo who come along and really help, um, I mean 50,000 talent are on Cameo, so it really helps those people to monetize. So big believer in uh, those trends.
0: I do want to focus in uh, for a moment on the rise of the super app. And I know it's Mm -hmm. something you have written about before. So could I ask what is a super app firstly? And why are Mm -hmm. we seeing so many companies now chasing this idea?
1: Yes. Uh, I would encourage you guys to actually, uh, I think if you Google super app and Nicole Quinn um, and maybe medium, uh, then it'll actually come up with my article that I wrote called the rise of the super app, what Calm, WeChat, and Uber all have in common. And, you know, in that you'll see like the areas that we kind of went into around, like, what is a super app? What are all these different apps have in common? It's definitely, apps that have multiple business units. So if we think about Calm, you know, you can both use it to work out, uh, to fall asleep, to listen to music, and to meditate. Also, all these business units can be accessed from the same app. Uh, The same customers will use multiple different parts of the app. User information is shared across these business units to make it a better experience for the customer. Um, And listen, super apps are true brands, you know, with high – brand awareness. Um, and so you all know Calm, you all know Uber and you know probably WeChat. And so these are companies that have terrific brands.
0: Fantastic. And I want to touch on the points you mentioned as well about crypto. I'm sure a lot of our members have, have looked into crypto themselves, but within crypto, I know you mentioned Solana and also Web 3.0. So I'd just be curious, what are some of the high-level points why you find these technologies interesting?
1: I think it's the future. I just don't think that you can... um, Like, why it's interesting is that we've now got to the point where, you know, there's a tipping point and this really is the future for... You know, especially countries where they're going through, you know, significant um, inflation, their actual currency is being devalued. And it feels like, you know, they definitely need uh, crypto. And then, you know, in countries like Ireland and the US, we don't need it, but we definitely want it. I think that Gen Z and millennials today really want to have a trampoline. And so, you know, the old generations used to believe, you know, you work hard, you build up money and savings over time. Um, In our generation, we believe like, hey, you know, is there some way I can jump on a trampoline and like jump up a level? Um, (laughs) I love the fact that you're nodding, Will. And so it's like, hey, entrepreneurship can be that trampoline for you. Crypto could be that trampoline for you. And people are definitely looking for, you know, whatever that trampoline is for them. Um, And so even though there's not A need for a lot of those companies is definitely a want. Um, And people say that Web 2.0 was really building companies that people need, right? Like helping people with delivery or getting a taxi. Um, Web 3.0 is really products you want. And so... You don't need an NFT, but you definitely want an NFT, right? Because you believe that they'll appreciate and value or you want to kind of boast to your friends that you own this cool gorillas and then like, you know, or a kid, or, Yeah, I mean, there's just so many of them now. But it just makes me think that people are treating it like a true collectible or an art piece that, you know, you might say to somebody, oh, you know, I made it and I got this incredible art piece. And now you're saying that around NFTs. So the want is really strong around those areas.
0: Another question I have is on the fact that you spend half your time in London and half your time in Silicon Valley. So what are the biggest differences you see now between startups in Europe and the US? And are there any particular regions that you are particularly interested in going in board?
1: Yes, I actually think that it's interesting to think about like well, where can Europe continue to grow such that it's you know similar to the US? Because you know, in terms of differences to your question, there are so many differences. I mean, you know, Europe is not one market, it's 40 different countries and even more ecosystems. So that means different currencies, different regulations, different languages. So there's many areas that it's different to the US, but I think that it's such an interesting ecosystem because we're really starting to see like expertise emerge by geography. In the past, companies in Europe were trying to copy companies in the U.S., um, whereas now you're seeing these generational change companies be built in Europe that actually companies the, in the U.S. are looking to copy. And so if you break it down maybe by geography, you see in the U.K. there's some incredible fintech businesses being built, like blockchain that we're investors in, or edtech companies like Multiverse, um, which was Tony Blair's son, Ewan Blair, his company, which is doing incredibly well. In Germany, like great SaaS companies like Personio are coming up. The Nordics have always. Has been so well known for gaming central and eastern Europe you know cyber security marketplaces like vintage those are all companies that Lightspeed's invested in but I'm a big believer that we actually should focus maybe on the similarities and the opportunities in Europe and that's definitely why I spend like a third to a half of my time in Europe I'm super excited about doing so because it feels like the growth in Europe is just at an incredible uh, rate right now.
0: It has been interesting in recent years to see as well how private equity firms and hedge funds are increasingly investing more and more in growth equity stages. So I think looking at the venture capital industry now, are there any particular trends that you are noticing and how the industry is changing?
1: You are absolutely right that people are moving down market. And so all the hedge funds are definitely starting to move more towards venture. Um, Because listen, like public equities as a class, you know, I did this for nearly 10 years it's really competitive. And they've almost like competed away the margin. And so, you know, there is just far less sort of information arbitrage than, you know, there was, it's like, you get some news, and the stock moves like 5% on the back of it. And it's like, hey, that's exactly what it should have moved 5%. It moves exactly, there's very little ability to be able to make the kind of money in public equities that you could many years ago. Whereas in venture, it's all about growth. And you're really like, adding value and creating value in this world. So it is a far more interesting class, which is definitely why I think you'll continue to see hedge funds, maybe even long onlys, private equity, move into growth and even venture. You know, we see Tiger Global coming into like series A's now, Co2 coming into seeds. So they're really coming down market. And that is a big difference. I guess that like hedge funds. Now they have like, it used to be a two and twenty model, right? In terms of the management fee and the carry. Now hedge funds, it's more like one and 15%. And then at VC firms, it's more like two and a half and 30%. And so Tiger Global are almost saying, like, your margin is my opportunity. And so I will come in, I'll pay double the valuation for that company that you were going to pay. And so fine, maybe my returns are lower than they would have been but that's okay. I don't need as high returns as you because I'm comping it to the lower rates that I was getting in public equities before. And so that is a really big change that's happening in the ecosystem.
0: On that point as well, I would like to ask you for your advice for students that are listening. And my question is, what are the different routes that one could take to break into VC if they were interested in the career? And is there one that you believe that is a better path for mm-hmm. others?
1: Really good advice. The best way to do anything in this world is by acting as if you're doing it now. So, if you ever want a promotion, start acting like you are at that promoted level today. And so, the best way to get into VC is start acting like you are a VC. So, what does that mean? That means going to conferences um, and learning. That means networking with as many people as you possibly can while you're there. That means tweeting, writing blogs on Medium maybe starting a substack newsletter. That means advising your friends' companies, angel investing if you possibly can. And so, you know, there's lots of different areas like that that I'd suggest.
0: For the students listening as well that might be interested in pursuing an MBA during their career, given your experience at Stanford, do you think there is an optimal time in your career to pursue an MBA? And if so, when would that be?
1: I mean, there's so many different schools of Thinking on this, one of my closest friends, Constantine, he's now at Sequoia. You know, he actually went straight after. He did Stanford undergrad, then he just went straight to business school afterwards. He thinks that's great because he's been able to kind of look to us and see, hey, what have they done in their careers? What would I do the same or different? I did the complete opposite. I worked for 10 years and then I went to do an MBA. So listen, I'm biased in that I think that that is the better option. But the reasons why I think it's better to work first is because It's almost like when you're at university, you're like itching to start working, or I was anyway. And then after you've been working for 10 years, you're kind of itching to take a break. (laughs) And you really appreciate business school after you've been working for 10 years, where you're like, oh my gosh, wait, I just get to learn for two years, meet incredible people, travel the world. You really appreciate it. And so I would say you don't need to kind of rush that, right? Because you can't really do two MBAs some people have I'm sure but it's not very common so I and I also think that you've learned a lot in those years of working that you can then apply in the MBA and so it's really much more helpful to other people in your class when they've worked before because you can say hey I'm thinking about starting a startup and I know you used to work in marketing can you help me with thinking about this marketing problem and so it's great to like have folks that already have a perspective and experience and tools in their toolkit from working that they then bring to that MBA.
0: That's great advice and I'm sure the students will definitely appreciate it. To finish up, I always ask four questions to the guests and you can say the first thing that comes to mind. Firstly, what differentiates a great venture capitalist from an average one?
1: Being open-minded um, and thinking if everything went right, how big could this be? If everything went wrong, how small could this be and really be open-minded to you know to those options
0: what is the latest startup you invested in
1: i've invested in a few that have not been announced but the last one that's been announced that i can talk about is real which is the mental health company that i was talking about earlier really excited about it it's new york based
0: are there any good resources such as newsletters or podcasts on the topic of vc or startups that you find useful
1: Yes, well, definitely Will's podcast uh, or anything that you're doing, Will, interviewing people. Uh, I also really like Harry Stebbings, uh, the 20-minute VC. That is one that's top of my list.
0: And finally, what is the most underrated skill in business, do you think?
1: Listening. Listening. You know, I started with it, right? It's like two ears, one mouth. Um, Everything we're taught at a young age is on like how to debate, how to speak, how to um, have difficult conversations, how to manage people, how to lead. There's never any classes on like how to listen, but really being a good listener, being curious and like deeply hearing someone, not just listening, but hearing what they're saying and like reading in between the lines. That is uh, an underrated skill.
0: That's very well put. And thanks for for finishing on that note, Nicole. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And thanks so much for your time again today.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much, Will, for having me.
0: You have been listening to me, Will O'Callaghan, on the Trinity SMF podcast. You can find more of this podcast on our website, www.trinitysmf.com. And follow us on social media to find out more about podcast releases, upcoming events, and much more.